Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette. And today I have an episode that's actually um, really meaningful to me, given my own experience in grad school when I birthed my first child. And um, we're going to be covering the topic of mother scholar activism and mother work in graduate school. Our guest who's going to be sharing more on this topic is Janae Garrett. Janae is a mother of three fierce, beautiful, and bright children, ages one, three, and five. (laughs) Mother of three. I have so much respect for that. Um, Currently in Connecticut uh, with her husband, James, she is passionate about writing, scholarship, mentorship, and improving community contexts and supports under which families grow, including education, housing, environment, and community connection. Welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. It's such an honor. <laughs> oh, likewise. I'm so glad that you said yes and that you're here and we're going to have this conversation. I feel like uh, for me, I feel like it's overdue because it's just mother work and and mother scholarship and activism is is really meaningful to me. So, yeah, I would love for you to get us started with just sharing a little bit more about who you are, what you do, maybe a little bit about your background and backstory, anything you're comfortable sharing about what got you to be where you are today. Sure. Thank you. Um Let's see, I always, I either go from the present to the past or past to the present. (laughs) So I think I'll start in my hometown today. Um, So I'm from Stockton, California. Um, It's a growing city, very racially and ethnically diverse. Um, I learned in my adulthood, very conservative, (laughs) socially conservative, which I I learned much, much later. Um, I have a sister. Barbara. I am the daughter of my mother, who was a single mother for some time. Um, And my stepfather, who joined our life when I was about seven. Um, I was raised, I was really, I I remember most of my childhood being raised by my grandmother, my great grandmother on my Mm. mom and my dad's side. Um, So like raised by, you know, um, Black Seventh-day Adventist uh, family from the South. I mean, Saturdays with like great cooking and, you know, family and community around me. Um, I went with my great grandmother to serve at the food bank. And, you know, uh, I just remember being a family of service, um, whatever that meant, in, you know, to, to my families at that time. Um, my grandmother was Catholic and then Pentecostal. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, which was on my mom's side, which is a very like stark difference. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, in each of those communities, you know, I, I would say that like um, motherhood, mothering was was central, right? The matrilineal like line for us was central. Cooking and being in community with each other was central. Um, and I feel like, you know, it's something that as a young person, I probably really took it, you know, for granted. I, I uh, lost my great grandmother and my grandmother very young. Um, and I, I think it wasn't until, you know, my adulthood that I, I started to see other mothers in community and in activism and like longing for a reconnection, right. Mm. To my like great grandmother, my grandmother, like, um, the folks who, you know, really came around us as a family to be sure that like us as children were safe and nurtured, but to also be sure that whatever my mother needed, um, as a young mother, as a single mother that she had, right. Um, regardless of like her resources or regardless of her story or whatever, you know, she had or didn't have that she wanted for us, our, uh, grandmothers, our community provided for us, um, so anyway, I, I'm from Stockton <laughs> um, and and I, I went on after Stockton to Princeton. I went on to Cal State Long Beach. I went on to Penn and like still feel like a stranger to those places um, because of how, you know, different um, the community was there compared to what I was raised in, in terms of wealth and, you know, access mm. um, but what I will say is in those spaces, when I was a mother, when I became a mother, there were always other mothers or other grad students who were also navigating that in the same way. Um, and, and so I think that's what really brought me to mother work um, and mothering in grad school as a central focus, both of study, but also mm -hmm. of, um, of like understanding and meaning making for me. Um, and, and I would say it was always there because in undergrad, I studied like sociology and education. And I, there, I was always interested in the family unit as a conversation or relationship to education, um, not knowing <laughs> that one day that would be, you know, ultimately the, the course of study I chose and, and what shaped my own family, my own development as a mother. So here I am now in Connecticut. Um, I am uh, in my sixth year in grad studies at Penn. Um, my We have, again, one three and five-year-old, and uh, my husband and I are both working at a charter school in Bridgeport um, and uh, serving babies and building safety in a school while also building safety mm -hmm. for our family, uh, which is a really special and like different kind of orientation at this point in our lives. Wow. So that's so... Um multi-layered and it's so <laughs> interesting too because um I I didn't know that about your background so I didn't know that this all really like is um generational and it's it's across the the lineage of your you said your grandmother your great-grandmother and that it's been kind of uh, an interest of yours for as long as you can remember so even time back to undergrad so it's it's helpful to hear that to hear that perspective because I, I didn't come to it uh with that same kind of background it was for me it was really like started with my experience and then from that experience came the interest uh, uh my my experience specifically giving birth although I do have the matrilineal background the you know my my tias my abuelitas and you know being growing up with 
with your grandparents, especially grand, uh, grandmothers and great grandmothers. Um, so thank you for sharing about that. I um, So I want you to maybe share a little bit more since you said you're coming at it as an area of study as well. Um, can you, for folks who are maybe not as familiar with these terms, um, mother works and mother scholar in particular, can you tell us a little bit more about um, what they mean to you or how you define them or how you work with these terms, like why you're that choice of those terms? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I always like to start with my experience at Cal State Long Beach. So I, I got my master's at Cal State Long Beach. Um, I was there from 2014 to 2016. Um, I started right at the height of the the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. Um, and I was not, I would say I was not as conscious as people know me to be now, right? So when I tell this story, people were like, what, you? Like, <laughs> these are not theories you were connected to. These are not stories you knew. These are not ideas you knew. And I was just not, I wasn't as connected as I am now. Um, and what I, what I mean by that is like, I was, um, it was the Mike Brown story was my first, right, really entry point into kind of the Black Lives Matter movement, but particularly like the work that people had been doing prior to that um, around, uh, you know, police and Black lives and community, right, and, and policing and community. And so um, I remember that fall. Dr. Lindsay Perez Uber and Nina mm -hmm. Flores, you know, were our mentors, were the ones who brought us in. And they gave space for us that day, the day of the court case. Um, and I remember being, I tell this story often, I remember being in Cal State Long Beaches. Um, there's a bar like that's there, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. a student bar. And I remember looking around and people are like jovial, right? They're eating, they're drinking, they're talking, there's music playing. And I'm like peeled mm. my computer trying to watch the news, right? Yeah. Um, then we go to class and we're all like, okay, what's going to happen? And I remember Dr. Flores being like, hey, I know what's happening right now. I'm, 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 I'm open to like just us processing together. If you need something to do after class, like I'm here. And so that night I remember watching, right? Like I was watching at a friend's house and be like, I'm going to the freeway in LA. Like that is happening tonight. And they were just like, hold on, you're new to organizing this is planned, this is organized, right? Like you, that's not something that you're gonna do tonight, right? Like we're gonna talk through this, we're gonna support you. And if you need to find ways to like engage in like activism in a traditional sense that people know the word, right? Like now mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll plug you in places where you can kind of learn. And so I would say that that kind of threw me into tra trajectory of understanding of or wanting to understand how people become engaged in like transformative change, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like, right? Whether people decide that like politics is activism or people decide, right, like scholarship is activism, whatever the form looks like, yeah. I was really interested in that process of coming to like, I have to be engaged in some sort of change. Mm -hmm. Um and and so I started kind of like, you know, I, I started organizing with BLMLA and Long Beach. I, I, I attended my first like, um, what would I say, action in Berkeley um, that that fall. Um, and of course, at these, you know, actions, I'm seeing children, right, who were like chanting a Sada Shakur, like mm. very, very like 
clear on what's happening, but not like overwhelmed, right? Like by what's happening there, it's very developmentally, like they're developmentally sound around what's happening for them. And so <laughs> Dr. Melina Abdullah at CSULA was a mentor and friend of mine. And I attended a panel where she was talking about her daughter saying like, oh, I'm not going to do homework because it's like, woman can't teach me anything. This white woman can't teach me anything about being a black girl, right? Like she can't teach me anything. And she laughed, Melina laughed. And she's like, um, I know my daughter and I knew she just wanted to get out of homework. <laughs> she, was like, so, she, was like, she knows what to say. <laughs> she was like, so I made her do that, her homework that night. But right, like what it signals, right, mm. is that she has a certain uh, a certain vernacular around, you know, um, read what my advisor would call read, recast, and resolve, right? She can read the world racially. She can restory it or recast it for herself and find a path through, right? Mm. And so I'd be, I was like, okay, I was not dating at the time. I was not married, which I am now, obviously, with my kids. And like, I wanted to know, well, how do I raise a kid like that? Mm. And that's literally my entry point into my, like, my, at that point now, eight years of study was like, okay, how do you raise a critic, as I was calling it then, a critically conscious child? Like, what does yeah. that mean? Um, and so I, I started talking to mothers of the movement, as I would say, you know, mothers who considered activism as central to their parenting. And, you know, what they told me was that, you know, they were creating spaces for their children that didn't already exist. They were uh, kind of re-educating their children around stories that they were learning either in school or in other spaces that kind of weren't true to Black families in the United States. Um, and, you know, some folks gave examples of like uh, what we would call, I would guess, media literacy now, right? Where it was like, oh, we're talking about Katrina. They read a book about Katrina my son comes home to ask me this question and I was there, the mom, right? I was mm -hmm. there in Katrina. So I showed him YouTube videos. We compared it to the story. And then I showed him YouTube videos of like narratives of people there. And we compared. Mm -hmm. And then my son made a choice for himself about what that meant, right? For him, his own understanding. And so from there, I was just like, okay, so <laughs> these mothers are phenomenal educators, <laughs> If we considered, right, their work in schools, how different, right, the experiences for Black children and families would be in, in, in public schools. If we considered their work as curriculum, mm. if we considered their work as, right, a practice of educating, like, our schools and those experiences would look radically different. And, uh, and from there, I was like, oh, I need a, a developmental understanding because personally for me, at 30, well, then I don't know how old I was, at 34, I still have things from my childhood come up for me that impact me, right? Good, bad, or otherwise, I wanted to understand what if there was a racial moment or a, a trauma or an experience around mothering or parenting that then comes up for you later, how is that situated within this conversation about consciousness but how is it also situated within a conversation about like life course and development over time um and so that brought me to Penn to study human development um and uh and the human development program that I'm in it's you know you get your traditional like human development and what I mean by traditional is you mm -hmm. get the science of like 
what is adolescent development? You know, what is childhood development? Um, what are the bench benchmarks and milestones of, of development and learning and growing? Um, but it's called interdisciplinary studies because a lot of us kind of take up our own interests and find ways to kind of infuse it into our understanding of development. Um, and so I came in with this knowledge of like critical race theory and, you know, systems and understanding of like um, racial difference in the world and the way that systems impact people of color and families of color and wanting to understand how do we take that, our systems knowledge and a knowledge of human development and kind of consider what maybe empathy looks like, maybe what like care for children looks like differently, what support of families looks like differently, um, or even just like what our understandings of like, I, I was a, um, what I call it a practitioner, a sort of justice practitioner, like how do we reconsider that even, right? Like how hard that can be for people with trauma. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> that was what I had come into pen, you know, saying I was going to study. I wanted to know how development impacts, right, the things that I had already studied. Um, and six months, not even six months, maybe three months into starting my program, we were like, oh, we have a baby on the way. <laughs> oh, wow. And that was your first child? Yes, that was oh. our first. <laughs> We moved to Philly in September or, you know, August, early September. And I would say by October, we had found out about our daughter. So it was like quick. It was really wow. quick. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I was, then I was like, I'm not taking a break. I'm the mom. I'm, I'm she's going to my classes. You know, I did that for all. <laughs> I love that you laugh because you know that, right? Like, I was like, no, I'm not, I don't need, no, <laughs> I came here to do my PhD. Um, and so we had, we had our daughter and then uh, in 2017, we had our son. And then in 2019, we also had our, or no, no, no. Did I do that wrong? Yep. 2017, we had our daughter. 2019, we had our son. And then 2021, we just welcomed our, our uh, baby. Wow. Um, yeah, and it has radically changed kind of my um, understanding of like family development, mothering, motherhood, mother work. That was Can a you, long way yeah. to tell you about here. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I, I want to hear more. So okay. I would love for you to expand more on, on that, on how sure. that experience um, has also shifted or influenced, I guess, the way that you, you're studying your topic and the way that you're thinking about development, family systems. Um, yeah. Yeah. All of that. Sure. Um, I would say that I had like a, uh, I was thinking a lot about intergenerational like um, care and connection when I started studying motherhood. Um, but it wasn't until I had my son and it was at the height of um, uh, the conversations about the separation at the border right when the encampments were being set up yeah. and we were hearing these like really awful stories of like children just like you know being disappeared from their families etc and not that this isn't a part of the history before that point right but it was just like it constantly in the media and constantly like present in our like consciousness um I was pre pregnant with my son and I I was doing my comps paper Mm -hmm. And I found, I found the Chicana Motherwork Anthology. Um, prior to that, I had been looking at like, um, 
in developmental psychology, there's matrescence, which is just the transition to motherhood, right? It has several domains around like um, change in mothering or motherhood in a person's life when they Mm -hmm. they birth a child. Um, I still kind of use matrescence as a part of frameworks that I kind of um, infuse because it's a specifically like psychology, developmental psychology framework. Um, and I was also looking at like uh, a reading, of course, a lot of the literature on like, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, the maternal mortality crisis, right? For yes. black women. So it was just like, I was reading about all of this and saying like, okay, we know medical racism is a thing. We know that like resources is a thing, but there's something else here, right? There's some other way that we can approach this conversation um, to better support and better serve like black women who are mothers, mothers of color, et cetera. So during this, this uh, particular moment in our political history, I was, I mean, I was weeping probably daily, right? Reading mm. these stories. Um, I was going to my husband and just being like, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm just like, I have to write about this. Right. Um, I was going to my advisor and I was like, Hey, like my grandma's from Mexico. Like my grandma came here when she was 14. Like my, there's a, there's a connection to this, but I feel like it's not my story. Mm. And my, my advisor was like, why not? (laughs) And I was like, well, like, you know, my grandma passed when I was young. Like, I don't know where, where in Mexico from, like, I don't have, you know, I feel there's a, a kind of a separation from our story in a way that makes me feel like I'm not entitled to feel the way that I'm feeling about this. And, you know, he was just like, wait, but you're, that is your story. Like, and I, and I want you to write about like that. It doesn't, not for publication, like for you to write this paper that you're trying to write, for you to write this dissertation, for you to study this transition to motherhood, I need you to capture your story and and your grandmother's story is your story, Janae. Mm. And I remember just like, <laughs> I have many, many visuals of myself now, like pregnant and just crying in his office, right? Because I was just like, this Howard, somebody has to do something about this. And I, if, if nothing else, my scholarship has to help do something about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote, <laughs> uh, I, my husband will tell the story differently, but he like set up this table. I'm closing my eyes because I can picture it. Uh, <laughs> he set up this like table in our living room. He slept on the couch and I was just like super pregnant. Our baby girl was, you know, in our bedroom and I'm writing at like 2 a.m. Right. Because like pregnant, you don't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Just like when people say like sleep by a I'm like, but I can't. <laughs> yeah. So what he used to do for me is in our bedroom, he set the TV up right by the bed and would give me the iPad. I used to fall asleep to like Harry Potter and like magical shows, <laughs> whatever. And I would wake up right at like probably like 10, 10, 11, maybe 12. And I would write from that time until the sun came up. And so he would just wow. like stack me with like snacks put my favorite shows on, put, set me up in the kitchen and he would just sleep right there. Um, and so I wrote a paper about then, you know, how my scholarship kind of emerged and through reading the Chicana Motherwork Anthology, I wrote a paper about how in developmental science, the concept of risk and resilience, right. Is a mm. very like 
it's a very um, clinical word, you know, risk being right measured by certain kind of quantitative, you know, markers, um, resilience being like, oh, you've overcome adversity, quote unquote. And what I was trying to do is through framing that with mother work and critical race theory, I was trying to argue that the notion of risk and resiliency is just like, not only is it kind of, um, what's a good word to say, um, it needs to be redone, right? Like it needs to be reconsidered, revised, like, but like, how dare you call me resilient in the face of like this violent, oppressive state, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm not, don't call me resilient. I am literally trying to ensure the livelihood of my children, right? Of other generations, of their mother's children. Like I, there's something spiritual, visceral about that, that was just missing in any kind of literature that I could find unless it was mother's stories. Mm. Um and so I would say that that, right, is is where I found my, like, this is what I'm going to continue to write about until I can't write anymore. Um, and so, so for me, uh, to kind of, you ask, like, how I think about mother work, right, um, Patricia Hill Collins talks about mother work as, like, the labor of mothers of color um, as a just a general way to describe it but that labor being more than others because we're mm -hmm. not only looking out for ourselves and survival of our children we're also looking out for past and future generations of children right, right. the um, other work too so it's yeah. not even those who are biological mothers yeah yes Yes. And it, and again, that doesn't even, it's not gendered, right? It could be mm -hmm. an auntie and, uh, you know, somebody who's gender nonconforming, whatever, but like there is a community of people, what we would call the village, right? right. Um, invested in ensuring that our children make it. Um, and not only make it, but I would say even now thrive, right? Like there is, there's not a whole lot about thriving. It's often about survival. And so, and so I would say that, um, you know, after having our son, after writing and just kind of like in some ways birthing, you know, my own writing, it was um, for me, that's what my activism kind of emerged as was like, okay, in every space that I'm in, if I see an opportunity to better improve a space or um, a program or a a community for mothers or other mothers or children, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I can't not see it. Right. Um, and so even now when my writing has been on pause because I'm trying to rear my children and work and like carve out this, like my kids are in school, it's a whole nother, like <laughs> it's a whole nother iteration of mothering that brings up like fear and worries and, you know, things that I had, I didn't feel before they were in school. Um, even now, you know, I, I, at night I'm thinking about things that I want to write and how like right now I'm being mothered by other mothers who <laughs> were like helping me be a better mother. Right. And, and just the beauty of that, um, that process and that experience, um, and, and physically being away from my school, my graduate program is also like, it's very isolating. And so trying yeah. to still write myself into like, you're working full time, you're a mom in a new community, you're a wife, you're a sister, daughter, whatever, but you're still, you're also a graduate student 
working towards almost a senior grad student working towards finishing your PhD. And so trying to to continue to hold on to that so I don't lose that, okay, I'm just not going to do it, right? Or okay, it's not for me. It's like, no, 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 like, you're gonna, <laughs> you're right there. Like, he, this is part of your mother work, right? This is something yes. you give to your children. This is something that you're going to give to other mothers. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, I hope I answered. I know I have a roundabout way of answering questions, but I hope um, that kind of gives you a little bit of how I've thought about mother work and how I've kind of made it my own, but, but really how it's like helped guard me, right? And like helped form me through, over time because it's uh not having it uh would have been difficult not having a framework to kind of or a an idea or a you know community to kind of room myself in um it would have been so much harder the last few years to just to just be <laughs> be and do and write yeah I mean in hearing you um talk about not only your topic but also how everything you studied also informs you, your day-to-day life. It informs the work that you do in your um, full-time job. It informs the work that you do at home and in helping to navigate the system, educational systems that now your kids are part of. Um, I am, it, what, what comes to mind to me is just that, that sense of urgency that comes with this topic. And because it's not just an area of study, it is, your life too and so I'm wondering I know that like the the title for this episode it has that the term the urgency so um can you talk a little bit more about you know um how mother work continues to remain urgent in your life and I I feel like you're saying you know I want to make sure that I you know that I finish my program and complete this project but I feel like everything that you're doing is is a kind of work even if you're not like physically writing you're doing the work and it's going to inform your dissertation and it's going to inform what you do post PhD so I'm really excited for you, but I can also kind of sense that urgency in your voice of like, I, I, I want to get this done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a both. Uh, it's definitely as my my advisor is Dr. Howard Stevenson. He always says both and, right? It's a both yes. and. Yes. Um, I would say the urgency never left, right? Like I think when I um when my spirit is moved to write, there's an urgency right around it because mm. I, I've always been a person who my writing has to apply, right? Like um, I can write in very verbose, re- I, like I can write for journals, but like, that's not where my heart is, right? Like I want my work, somebody to take it and be like, oh, okay, this community over here needs this or like this mom yes. needs today, right? Um, part of that practice, I send my writings to my mom, um, and she'll, oh. yeah, I always <laughs> this to her. And I remember, uh, when I was writing my comps paper, she was like, mommy, do you mean to write Latin, Latinx where with an X is at the Latine is uh-huh. term now, but like, you know, she was like, did you misspell this? And I was like, oh no, mom, this is what this means. And she was like, oh, okay. So she would, you know, she would give me feedback or contribute in ways that she knew how to, but then it would, it would breed a conversation for us, right. About like, oh, this is, this is how mothers are talking about this now, or this is how I think about your mothering when you were my, you know, when I was younger. Um, 
And it's, it's brought us even to a place of like, she'll say, oh, I don't remember, but I think you tell me that if I don't remember something, that might be about my trauma, right? And like, we're able, right? Like we're able to kind of like, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm wow. it's really beautiful, right? The ways that we've been able to kind of like talk about even her own experiences as I'm mothering, right? Um, and, and it's led us to really difficult conversations where I've mm. said like, hey, mom, like, I don't want to parent from an anxious place. And like, and I, so I need, I need you to pause. I know you're worried as a grandma, but I need you to pause. We're good. Right. So there are times where like, it's even led me to like build boundaries that are difficult um, because the context under which we're raising our children is really different, right. Than it was for her. And that's, that's what she worked so hard for. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, so it's like a, it's a, I'm getting chills talking about it. Um, it's a really, it's a really interesting thing that it has evolved for me over time, because I think when I first started as a mama, like I wanted my mom to know I was a good mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I wanted my, you know, my mother-in-law to know I was a good mom. I was so anxious about the external understanding of like what I was doing. And that was an internalized sense of self, right? It was an internalized gaze of like, if you don't do things in a certain way, your babies aren't going to be safe, right? Um, and over time, I I learned to kind of transform that into an advocacy for myself and my babies, meaning like, I remember in our third, with our third with joie, um, each of my kids, I had a C-section. Each time I had very like textbook, really serious issues around like medical mm. racism that you know you read stories about but with joie I was like oh I study uh the maternal mortality rate for black and latinx mothers so like you know I'm gonna have lots of questions for you so like I would tell each and every yeah. doctor and nurse and granted <laughs> you don't have to have a study or a PhD in it to do that right there are lots of ways that mothers have shown us over time the way that they like advocate for themselves and their children but that was my way right it was like it was like I'm gonna tell you who I am I'm gonna tell you exactly what I expect from you out of this and I'm gonna tell you if you don't do that I got a community around me that's gonna make sure that this is right and I'm also gonna make sure you don't do this for somebody else um and so so yeah I think over time it went from like a very you know um kind of self you know, I, it, you have to go through it, but a self, you know, um, I want I don't want to say self-centered, but like, it was really an internalized and internal conversation and dialogue that I was having to one that was like, okay, I, if I'm having this issue, there are hands down other mothers having this issue. Right. There are hands down have other mothers who are having this issue who don't have people next to them fighting. Um, and so, you know, I have been in and and left spaces, workspaces, academic spaces where it was like, you're not doing right. I have done the work of telling you you're not doing right. And and I cannot ethically be in this space if you're not gonna do right by these folks, right? Right. And so, and so yeah, I would say that like either that or like I'm gonna fight until. Um and and so yeah, I would say over time that's how both my practice of like mother work, right, and understanding my commitment and urgency to other mothers and community and people around me has changed, but also how it's informed even how I think about 
the way that I write about it, right? Um, because I've had people be like, oh, is this rigorous? Oh, let me tell you how rigorous this is. This goes through this many people. I've talked to this many people. This is a, aligned with medical racism data. This mm-hmm. is aligned with data around, you know, rates around uh, health and wellness and mental health for women of color. This is connected to, right? So like I it's a uh, it's so urgent that I'm not gonna drop the ball around what I know so that I can give it to somebody else. I mean, um, (laughs) you share so much there. Uh, I'm thinking about how you mentioned that this has informed the way that you advocate for yourself and for others and how you have realized that if you're experiencing something that, that, that it's not just you, it's happening across. And that's why we have things like, the maternal mortality mortality rates, which directly impact Black moms and mothers of color. Um, and so I, I, I hear the sense of urgency, but then at the same time, I, um, I'm wondering for folks who maybe have not had that kind of experience, maybe have not birthed a child, maybe they are um, uh, child-free, and um, and intentionally child free, but they want to be part of that village and they want to provide support and they want to become more informed and perhaps even be uh, involved in advocacy work or activist work. So um, what are some ways that you, you know, would recommend for them to get to know more about this work or to support anybody nearby that's you know part of their village or like how can they get involved how can they um yeah do their part of being you know what some folks call allies or co-conspirators or just supportive of of those who are in that <laughs> that struggle <laughs> that, that, yeah um, yeah, yeah. No, it's- it's a phenomenal question. Um, and when I think of often, I think when we usually give recommendations to allies, I think we start at resources, right? Like mm-hmm. almost immediately, like, okay, if you have a, a, a new family, you know, start with like food or start yeah. with like clean your house or daycare. And those things are definitely urgent. Um, I think that the period that feels so vulnerable is right after right? When the food stops coming, when the appointments are slowed down, right? When babies starting to sleep a little bit on their own, like when it, and it goes silent, there's a period that it just kind of goes silent. And maybe it's just me, like, and we have phenomenal people in our village, but there is a period where it just kind of goes silent. And I think that, and, and even research would show that like, um, you know, maternal psychosis and mental health and some of those, it's a year up to a year or plus after it's like right after that period when everybody wants to and, and what I would say is like, you know, for me, I, I, I go quiet people, you don't see me on social media. <laughs> people, my what, do you, friends, what do you mean you go quiet? Like when I, you have I a refuse. child or after that, or like at what after, point? Like during that quiet period, I also go quiet. Right? Oh, I, see. A, I think cause it's a, it's for me. Cause when I started writing about this, I started writing about identity shifts mm-hmm. and I didn't mean it in the sense of like self-identity. I meant it in the sense of connection to community. 
how other people see me as a friend mm. or or a colleague or right because it was like I can't show up to the same things I can't call you as often I can't answer as often I can't write like oh my gosh I have a poop diaper when you're calling me like or my kid is sick yeah. and I'm terrified or like I was nursing all night every hour and I couldn't possibly tell you how much pain I'm in because I don't even know how to describe this right so it's like the period where there's a silence and um, what I would say is like, if you have friends who even in the first five years have had a child and you have the capacity to just be that friend that regularly checks in and doesn't expect anything from them other than like, Hey, I'm checking on you. I'm here. I'm not going to cry, but I'm probably going to cry after this. Aww. Those are the people, right. That like, on the worst days, I happen to get the text from that friend, right? That's like, okay, there it is. <laughs> oh. It was those people, right? They're checking in on you. And so many times you're just like in charge and having to take care of everybody. And it just feels so nice to have someone actually check in on you or you're like, wait, it's been how long and you're the first person to check yes. up on me, to ask me how I'm doing and ask, ask me seriously, like, how and are really you really doing? It, right? Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, it's hard when you also want to do that for other people. Mm. There will be periods as a mom where you're like, I remember in grad school, I was, I had at least five or six friends who had babies at the same time. And I was the one that was like, all right, let's write, let's go here. I got you. But like <laughs> in the last few years, I've experienced being the one who can't do that. Right. Like I am literally like, I can only be right here right now. And like, I know you're going through something and you're going through something, you're going through something, you're going, and I cannot be that person right mm. now. And I want to be right. Hey, hey baby. <laughs> Hey, okay Thank you. speaking oh. of babies yeah. <laughs> what do you need baby a hoagie you're hungry yeah okay yeah i just got my spidey you got your spidey yeah for, yeah, for the cradle okay you got it from the counter yeah okay you want to say hi 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 how hi. you doing okay. A big spidey. I love your Spider Man. Look at how red he is red and blue. Yeah, he got what his cap back is red. The cap is. Oh, is that's red. really cool. Yeah. I see he got the spider here. Yeah, what color is that spider? Oh. Uh, Back. Yeah, black. Just like yeah, your shirt and back. my shirt and your mom's shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's come up. It's my eye space. Your shirt. space shirt, huh? Yeah, it's my eye space shirt. Outer space yeah, shirt. Yeah. And it's pivots and spaceship. Spaceships. Right here. So how about you go to the couch now? Can we get you some food? Okay, hey, mommy. Yeah. I'm ready to put on Spidey Team. I can put on Spidey Team for you, okay? <laughs> can I have a few more minutes? Yes. Okay, I love you. Oh. Okay. Sit in a little bit, okay? Oh, go get your water, okay? Can you close the door for me? I'll be right out. Thank you. Oh my gosh, that was 
So adorable. <laughs> He's the sweetest kid. Um, goodness. Uh, good that timing. Was, uh, that was, that couldn't be any more perfect. <laughs> you can keep it in, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's up to you. I'm totally down to keep it in because this is, this is the work. Yeah. This is like, this is it, it's, you know, literally, um, but yeah, and we're, we're going to get close to wrapping up too, because okay. I know we're getting close to time. And after I kind of asking you about that, that sense of urgency and about like what others can do, which I, I, I don't know if you have any other things you want to share about that, but sure. the next thing I wanted to ask is just words of advice. So maybe if you have other things about you know, what folks can do to offer support and then also words of advice for, especially first-gen students of color, Absolutely. mothers, parents, yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, so I, I think that uh, aside from checking in for, with people that you know, if you are in graduate or professional spaces, workspaces, et cetera, get to know the policies around, can families be there, right? Like how do they fund people who are on leave? Um, you know, uh, how much um, time and space is given? Are there breastfeeding spaces? Can kids, can they bring their kids to class? And if, if they can, what is the actual culture around that, right? Like, are they gonna get weird comments or professors, you know, being strange about it? So I think that there's always a way that other people can advocate for change in those spaces. And it, you know, someone might say, but you don't have a kid. Why do you care about this? And it's like, because these are my, my colleagues, my comrades, right? Like, right. so there doesn't have to be a reason, but I've had people say things like that to me, right? Before of like, well, why do you care about this? You're a fifth year doc student, right? And it's like, because I'm out of funding, but like these students need funding. Like, yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, I would say that wherever you can connect and tie both connection and resources for people, do it. Um, and don't assume that because it someone looks like they're doing it well. Like I've had so many people be like, you make parenting look so easy. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Great. <laughs> yeah, folks only That's see beautiful. what we sh share publicly, you know? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes <laughs> even among those of us that, are, you know, among our loved ones, we don't always like open up, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it's beautiful. Like, I love my children. I wanted to have, you know, like, and, and, and that, but, but it doesn't matter, right? Like mm -hmm. we should care about them, like parents, birthing people, non-birthing people, just because they're human beings, like yes. <laughs> care and still be connected to them. Um, so, so I would say that, and of course, if you can offer material resources when people need it, do it like, fundraise for them, donate to places that like fundraise for, for families, like do it. Um, mutual aid, like got us through COVID. Right. Um, and then I would say in terms of advice, <laughs> um, I, I made a lot of, I would say what I would call like heart and spiritual mistakes during grad school around my family. And what I mean by that is like, um, you know, uh, I don't know that I had a lot of, he's singing. I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of fears and worries. And so there were times where like, I was so guarded with my kids that like, it was off putting to people and I didn't know how to communicate that. Right. It was like, or there were times where like my advisor in racial literacy where it calls it freeze, right. Flight, flight or freeze. Yeah. There were times I would freeze like 
people would do things like touch our kids' hair. And I was new to to that for our kids, right? Like our kids have beautiful locks. Yeah. Or like someone kissed our kid one time. And like, I was so angry. I didn't know what to do, right? Like, um, and I wish I had known. Like now I'm like, <laughs> I'm real quick with it, right? Because I could advocate. I learned over time, it was easier to advocate for my kids than it was for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a really important understanding for me. And then two, what was an important understanding for me was that like a lot of people in the world don't know what it's like to have and interact with kids, right? Like young kids, kids of color, whatever, especially like for whatever reason, right? But particularly in grad school, that was my experience. And so, and if they do, they might be coming from a totally different upbringing, a totally different background. And so being clear and not being afraid to be clear about what's important for you and your family as just off top, that is so important because at the end of the day, like me being liked by my graduate school colleague was not more important than my, my children's health right? was not more important than uh, me me doing well in a graduate course ended up not being more important than, right? Like what was happening for my family and, and, and even more so the pandemic, right? Like was super clear around that. It was just like, as much as I love and respect my career, like I recently walked away from a phenomenal position because it it made it felt I felt like I had to choose between myself and my family Mm. not be you know for for whatever reason it was just like I'm away from my family too much I you know I I can't um I I'm my brain is so full of my job that I can't make this I don't have enough space for the mental and emotional and decisions that I have to make for my family right and so so I would say to, to try to be more concise is like one, you know, learn where your boundaries are and be okay making those clear for everybody because nobody's going to know those things until you communicate them. Right. And then two, like, um, I would say, <laughs> baby, can, can we stop turning that off and on? Is that okay? Here, do me a favor. Can you take that in there for me? It's Peppa Pig. It's a Peppa Pig book. Can you go read it for me? Oh, yeah. You're going to take your Spider-Man with you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He's flying. Yeah. He has wings to fly. He has wings to fly. So sweet. I love his energy. (laughs) We... Part of the reason I feel so urgent is we had a school this week tell us they couldn't handle him and he was disruptive. Mind you, he's three. And um, uh, what three year old is it? Three. <laughs> Toddlers be toddling. <laughs> That's what I always tell people. And then we ended up, my current job, we ended up, there are some Black women who are mothers of older children. They called a local like grandmother and who raised their kids and they were like hey we have this mom who like can't find child care she's having a hard time with her three-year-old her one-year-old can you take them and we brought them there she's she's in like her 70s but just like the most amazing spirit and we came we came to pick them up on friday and she goes nothing's wrong with that boy <laughs> nothing 
nothing's wrong with him. Like mm. he's a sweetheart. He did great all day today. Like bring him back Monday. We've got them. Don't worry. You go to work. You worry about nothing. You bring them back. Um, but I, you know, I say all that because, you know, I went from being a person who, you know, never took a misstep in her career, never had a misstep. <laughs> yes, baby. Okay, bring it to me. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I had prided myself on the steps that I took in my career. I was that person that was like, oh, I'm going to do this thing and I, I'm going to do it. If I tell you I'm going to do it, I'm going to yeah. do it. And what changed for me in motherhood was not that I couldn't do those things anymore. Yes. There's all the things. Okay. I got you. But I grew to understand that those things weren't rooted in like a sense of self, right? Those, those, those desires were rooted in an external, right? Like I either want, want a certain feeling or a certain validation or right. whatever it is. And it wasn't authentic to who I was. So like when I was doing that type of work or when I was engaged, I was always anxious. I was always worried mm. about not being perfect, not being right, something being, you know, off. And what motherhood has has done for me and really like mother work and community has done for me, it's really humbled me. It's helped me understand that like nobody gets by on their own. Yeah. Um, that like, you know, I learned small practices of like, when you really need a mentor, text 911, I need 15 minutes of your time. And like a mother taught me that, right? And she was like, I was like, they're famous, they're busy. She's like, 911, I need a moment of your time. Um, so small, simple practices where like it, I couldn't have gotten through really big moments, 3000 miles away from our family, right? Our, our bio family, had I not had other mothers around me saying like, this is how you get through grad school. This is how you get through this difficult moment with a mentor. This is how you get through this really tough snag professionally. This is how you find your kid childcare in a new state, right? Like, um, I just, you know, you find your people, you guard your heart, you know, and you keep your family close because at the end of the day, any professional and educational space, you know, it's, the machine will keep running. <laughs> the machine mm -hmm. will keep working. With um, or without you. With or without you. Um, and that's a, it's a hard truth. It's a, a truth that I like learn to not take personally. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to rage against it when I'm in it. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For other mothers to feel a sense of connection and community. But at the end of the day, your health, your family, your well-being is far more important um, and there are other ways if for some reason this pathway you're on doesn't, isn't going to align the way you thought it would, there are other ways to get there. Um, and, and that, that has been a really beautiful, like, uh, realization for me in this moment, because I'm probably the happiest I've been. Um, and so is our family and that, you know, that feels good. And it was because of really difficult decisions and like, really hard moments um where other people came around us to say like you're gonna get through this um but you're not gonna do that alone and we're not gonna let you do that alone thank you for your words I feel like you just affirmed so many folks in everything that you shared you affirmed non-traditional and non-linear paths and 
prioritize, prioritizing oneself, prioritizing your community, communicating your needs, communicating your boundaries. All of these are just, a lot of it is easier said than done. <laughs> but if they even just listen not easy. to one of the many gems that you shared of the many tips or that you shared today, I think that they will be better off for it. So for folks um, who resonated with, with what you shared and who would like to stay in touch or connect in some way, shape or form, how can they reach you? Sure. Um, Instagram is always a great way to reach me. <laughs> Even when I'm not posting, I pay attention. Um, I don't know about Twitter lately. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I out with Twitter. But on, on every platform and email, I'm, I'm Janae, J-A-N-A-Y, M as in Mary, and then Garrett at gmail.com or on Instagram or LinkedIn, social media. And I did that on purpose a while ago because I noticed that whenever I was having conversations with mamas, it was like, can we, can we talk later? Um, and as a, in the true nature of a mom with three young kids, it might take me a minute when I <laughs> will respond and it's okay to bug me over and over again. So like, if it's been three, four days, please send me a reminder, like message or text and be like, Hey mama, like I'm still here. Uh, I'd love to connect. Um, because it's, it's truly just like, <laughs> uh, you know, right now we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants for a minute until, you know, <laughs> until we get a little more steady, but, but yes, please. I would love to, to stay connected with folks. Okay. Thank you so much. I can relate to, to that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it took a lot of back and forth for us to get to this yeah. call to us two busy moms. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad we did it today. Me too. Thank you so much, um, Janae, for coming on the show, for sharing so much knowledge and wisdom and truth. And um, yeah, it's it's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half-hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right, one free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at Grad School Femtoring. Thanks again and until next time.